0: Hey everyone, welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show where we discuss big topics that pop up as we're reading through the scriptures. And we also aim to discuss some of your questions as well, which we love to do. So remember, pop down your comments and questions uh, in the comment section, because we love to peruse that and go back and forth with you. But we have a really fun show for you today. Really interesting areas of scripture, a little bit weird actually, so Matt, love. What are those areas of scripture? Well, Corey, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Today we're in
1: Lamentations one to Ezekiel seventeen. Really cool stuff. A bunch of big questions regarding Ezekiel, mostly Ezekiel questions.
0: That, that's fair. I mean, Lamentations is sad. It, it, it's sad and it's mournful. And then you you pop into Ezekiel, and it's completely different genre. Re, really in your face. Yeah. Kind of strange spiritual stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, Ezekiel is the most enigmatic book. Of the Bible, I like,
0: like. I like enigmatic. That's fun. Yeah, fun use of words. Yeah, it's very fun. Anyways,
1: <laughs> but besides that, our big question for today is: In what way does the spiritual world overlap with the physical world?
0: Dun dun duh. dun dun
1: dun. We got to figure that out. you know, bottom yeah. line, uh, we'll
0: figure out all a, the problems. It's a pretty right big question.
1: It's like the biggest question of all time. Um, Anyways, okay, so let's start off. And okay. we haven't
0: like pre talked about the big questions, so I'm excited to kind of see where you're going. Well, we
1: actually really don't pre talk about most for Most, of, our most of the shows, I know. Like very rarely. A lot of
0: the shows, we just come like cold. At least I come cold. Yes. To it, so. Very cold. Fun. I love it. Very
1: cold and flat <laughs> footed. very flat-footed. cold. We are in <laughs>
0: Canada. We are always cold. No. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so I'm going to open up with a question. The only question is for Lamentations. Okay. And it's basically regarding the whole book. Okay, Fair so enough. did Jeremiah or Baruch write Lamentations? And why is the book of Baruch not in the Bible?
0: Okay, so let's take the first part of the question first. Right. Uh, Did Jeremiah or Baruch write Lamentations? Actually, the truth is we have no idea who wrote Lamentations. We have actually no idea because, I'm gonna say like solidly because the book of Lamentations isn't attested to anyone. It doesn't say in the book of Lamentations and here's the lament of Jeremiah that he wrote after the destruction of Jerusalem. We don't know that. But there is evidence that Jeremiah authored it. And if Jeremiah authored it, potentially Baruch was the scribe that actually wrote the physical words, or maybe Jeremiah hired another scribe. We don't know how that went down because we actually don't know what happened to Baruch after the destruction of Jerusalem. We know that Jeremiah initially was taken out of the city of Jerusalem as a captive, but he was released by the Babylonians before the um, exiles were officially deported to Babylon. And he went back and hung it with the governor of Judah, you know, the new province of Judah for a while. Uh, But... There are some points in favor of Jeremiah, not least of which is that Jewish tradition actually attributes Lamentations to Jeremiah. So we're talking the Septuagint and we're talking the um, Talmud. Uh, So these avenues of Jewish tradition claim that Jeremiah is the author of the Book of Lamentations. On top of that, we know, uh, or scholars believe, I should say, that an actual eyewitness of the destruction of Jerusalem is responsible for writing the book of lamentations just because of a lot some of the details that are in there and jeremiah fits the bill he was actually in the city during the siege and the destruction of the city he he lived through it and um, um he, he he lived through it <laughs> right. uh, and survived it is what i was going to say also we know that jeremiah has a history of writing official laments Right. Because it's in Second Chronicles 35, I believe, where uh, the history there in Second Chronicles 35 says that the prophet Jeremiah wrote a lament for King Josiah. Because remember, King Josiah, who was a great king, he died in battle opposing Pharaoh who was trying to pass through the land of Judah. Um, so Josiah dies in battle and the scripture says that Jeremiah wrote a lament that was sung yearly and and routinely for Josiah. So he has a history of writing laments. Now, uh, the, the, the position against Jeremiah being the author, there's several avenues that they do here. First, of course, he's not mentioned as the author. A second one, um, I wrote some notes here for myself, um, Oh, nowhere else in scripture mentions that Jeremiah wrote a lament for the destruction of Jerusalem. It mentions he wrote a lament for Josiah, but not for the destruction of Jerusalem. And there certainly is um, space that they, that the, the, the scripture could have mentioned that. I mean, the book of Jeremiah itself goes into what happens to Jeremiah after the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, some of the key vocabulary in Lamentations is different from the key vocabulary of Jeremiah Now, of course, they're completely different genres, right? One's a lament and one's history and prophecy. So that could be explained that way. Um, And another... Another thing that people often bring up is that the book of Lamentations seems to have been written for use in Judah and Jerusalem uh, while the temple was destroyed. So this consistent lament over Judah and Jerusalem, from Judah and Jerusalem. But we know that Jeremiah was rather quickly moved to Egypt against his will. So... Um, some people go well. It doesn't really make sense. He lived in Egypt, so why would he write it in Egypt and send it back? But Jeremiah also has a history of writing things and sending it, right? He 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 did that in the book of Jer uh, in the book of Jeremiah itself. And we don't know the amount of time that Jeremiah was in Judah before being taken to Egypt, so he certainly had time to compose a lament there. So there's. There's the arguments on both right. sides. You that's know, good. I lean towards just accepting Jeremiah as the author, but it's neither here nor there for me because
1: because Baruch probably also wrote it underneath Jeremiah's guidance, anyways. Even if it was Jeremiah, yeah, right,
0: yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting thought, uh, Baruch being the author, but I think that's more of a sensational thing, and I think uh, like I think it, I think the scripture is. M- may have been more likely to mention right. if it was actually Baruch so, who did it.
1: Right, and I think that's the reason why it's the next question is because if Baruch is the author, why not include the, the, the book of Baruch? I think that's kind right. of the concept. Um, and I think just to that, um, quickly but apart from it being apocryphal, which they think, they believe it was written between the first and second century bc much
0: later much later so impossible to have actually been baruch who wrote
1: exactly which means that it's pseudepigrapha and what that means is if you're not equipped with this kind of terminology you know pseudonyms which is a pen name or a different name you write under a different name it's essentially what that means it's a, uh, a false author you're not who you say you are and you see this often. So a lot of the pseudepigraphal works never become scripture.
0: Yeah. Because and, and you're essentially be with, lying,
1: quote unquote. Not really right, lying, but, but you this are. This can be done
0: with good intentions as yes. well, right? Writing as if you were a person. It's, yes. It's a whole genre. The wisdom
1: of Solomon's that. Yes. yes. It's a
0: genre as opposed to you're not necessarily, you're not trying to trick people. No, of course but You're not. setting yourself up as, if I was this person, what do I think this person would have? Right. Said. Exactly. Okay.
1: But the difference is because you're not that person, therefore, yeah, it can't be scripture. So anyways, so there's no pseudo-picker for texts that are in, in scripture. Yes. So that would be the quick answer for why the book of Baruch is not in the Bible. Okay. Corey, right. this next question good? It's for you. Is the big question. Not what? really. <laughs> but it's a big question. <laughs>
0: okay. It is a big question. It
1: yeah. is not yeah. the big question. Uh,
0: That's okay. Malak. Yeah. Malloc. Yeah. Are aliens mentioned in the Bible and are aliens always demonic forces? This is the question. And I this is to. the one I And this is based off Ezekiel 1, one. because there's yes. some weird
1: Like the, the wheels are turning and
0: Weird angelic beings yes. described. Yeah. And a lot of people a lot of people I mean famously famously in the last several last 60 years there's been people who claim that this is a description of aliens.
1: Well if, aliens uh, what have we heard? Uh, that the wheels are actually helicopters? that the actual that's, a,
0: that's more of a small idea yeah, but, but a lot of people are like oh see it's aliens because yeah,
1: the UFOs right but and, yeah it's a, the future of like what's happening and you know amazing technology will look like aliens to the to you know to them anyways right, yes anyways, anyways
0: anyways um i totally read chariot of the gods when i was like 22 and it's wild guys it's, wild.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's anyways, wild so long story short um <laughs> uh our aliens mentioned the bible well okay and this is the real question are aliens always demonic forces so i have no notes for this because i was like
0: we're just going to talk about we're just
1: going to talk about it that's why i said it's it's a big question because i'm like it is a discussion question just about it um i say yes um now once again i haven't studied alien phenomena all that much i'd have to look into how if aliens existed uh how would that compromise the Genesis account? Like, I'd have to look into that. I don't have a solid answer for that specifically. Maybe like
0: the concept of salvation right. and
1: right, like it, it, to, yeah. it changes because the the concept of salvation are, are is cosmos
0: fallen or are they not? Right. The
1: point is that the cosmos fell when we when humans fell. Like the cosmos fell. Right, that's or the was idea.
0: Was it just Earth?
1: Oh, right, exactly. So, yes. anyways. Anyways, it would have to figure out a way to be like, can you justify things happening simultaneously? There'd have to be a whole bunch of, like aliens felt the same exact same moment in history that humans felt. There'd have to be something. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The point here is, I haven't fully thought that through. It doesn't seem like it. So my point here is that what I'm saying is intuitively, I'm going to say yes. And if you look at some of the alien phenomena that even happens, mm-hmm. like whether it's UFOs or whatever it is, um, they're never rarely do they go up into the sky. Uh, which I think is interesting. Usually, what you see happening is you see these like floating orbs or these like you know these uh, unidentifiable flying objects that can like stop in an, on a queue. They go into the Earth. Okay, they don't go into the sky, and they they often become invisible. So it's like they're not leaving Earth on a perpetual basis. So it's, it seems really strange for them to become from outer space. So, anyways, my my thinking is I think that aliens are you know with my exception of being having no understanding and how it affects Genesis. Or not I should say no understanding, no insight into that. Uh, I would say that aliens are not <laughs> always demonic forces. I would say so, yes. Um, and I think that this comes down to the idea that even in these abduction cases, people are typically... You can modify how someone perceives things, that their, their sight, their smell, their, their senses can be modified. Not necessarily their sense of reason, but what they see around them can be modified. You can um, trick the brain, so to speak. So that's what all of these people believe. And there is a correlation. I haven't read this book yet, but Ryan suggested it to me. I think it's called Alien Intrusion. And yeah. he says that uh, in these cases, like in the majority of cases, when people use the name of Jesus Christ, the aliens go away. When people are adamantly calling on god the aliens go away so despite it looking high-tech and all these things uh it's a trick of the brain was the idea and that these things are actually demonic forces and they've been around for a while now what does that mean like what does it mean that they have you of like spacecrafts quote-unquote spacecrafts and these high-tech things what does that mean does that mean they're extra physical or does that mean that they're uh what does it mean to be a spiritual being in this sense like we know that God is the true spirit being, being Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. non-material, and he created angels. In other words, they're something. They're not nothing. They're not like uh, spirit like God. They're created things. So with that in mind, I don't quite know how extra-physical the spiritual world is. Um, Again, I haven't fully delved into it, and it's really interesting. I kind of wish I had, to be honest. (laughs) It's really interesting stuff. But... um, it does seem like that these things, ha- they, they have, you know, we know about the Nephilim. They have, they, they were you know, angels that came down and uh, uh, slept with women and had babies. And, um, you know, that's what the Nephilim came about. Um, so long story short is that, yeah, they can become physical. So that's kind of the idea here. It's like these spiritual beings can become physical. How that works, I have no clue.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty much agreement with you in terms of I actually I also do think that they are always demonic. Like this right. is the way I lean and 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 because because of, of of what I have read and what I understand about this whole phenomena I think it makes sense. I mean when you look at the phenomena itself what are the hallmarks of it? What are the results of it? And everywhere you look, you see people becoming obsessed with this concept, but you also see people experiencing great oppression because of this great fear, great emotional trauma goes along with this. Um, in terms of in terms of like the whole ancient alien movement, you see massive deconversion from Catholic and Christian faith because they see the Old Testament and they read into it, aliens, and then and then they begin to go, oh, well, this is all just humans trying to explain their interactions with actual physical beings from, you know, technologically advanced beings from other other planets. And you see these, this, this massive deconversion. And whole cults that begin to develop around this theme. So that, to me, massive red flags that lean toward the demonic. And then also the, this 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 whole concept of, of, again, this obsession that comes with it, it makes me tremendously suspicious because Satan always disguises himself, right? He very rarely shows up and he's like, hey, I'm Satan, want to worship me? Right. Like really, really (laughs) rarely does that happen. I mean, I guess it is kind of happening now in some circles and it always has. But even when you look at the ancient world, you see in their idols and in their carvings in temples, you see beings that look tremendously like the angels that are described on the pages of the Bible. And we know from the Bible that some of these creatures fell away from God and rebelled against God and apparently set themselves up to be worshipped because we see them, you know, either everything's all made up or there actually is a truth to the spiritual world that the Bible is presenting. And then if that's true, we're going to see reflections of that in other cultures. And, right. I, and, and you do see that. So you're going to explain that one of two ways. It's all made up and coming from a common source. Or it's true and people have developed religions based off of actual experiences that they had. Right. And if that is the case, I do not see what the difference is between an ancient pagan religion that becomes obsessed with these gods and goddesses and spirits and things like that. And the modern alien movement of people being obsessed with hunting and finding evidence for these beings. Right. That don't just come forward and say, hey, I'm an alien. Right. You know, it's just always these these visions of them and glimpses of them, and uh, just enough to really draw you in. So I'm tremendously suspicious of the whole thing, and I do definitely lean towards demonic. Yeah, and
1: there's a whole bunch of counter evidence against the idea of aliens even existing to begin with, Mm -hmm. or even aliens getting to our planet planet like the Fermi's paradox stuff. Um, So it's like I'm highly skeptical of aliens existing in general. Having said that, I just don't like brushing, because we're doing, you know, a podcast that's aired publicly, I don't like just brushing everything under the water until I really uh, seek things through. But either having said that, yeah, I really do think aliens are always demonic forces. Like I just, I really don't see a way around it. Um, and the nature of that, though, when you get into the, some of the stories, is this interesting pod, Christian podcast called Haunted Cosmos that I've listened to quite recently. And um, they do a good job of getting into the stories and how these things are, and they examine it from a Christian context of them being demonic forces like Mm -hmm. every time basically and the nature of okay what does this mean you know when you someone says they see a spacecraft or they see something like this like what does this mean like how do you analyze that a lot of times they believe a it's a trick of the brain or b that because these things are shapeshifters they can actually shape they they, they want to convince our world who lives in a materialistic culture that these beings that are really high tech are actually from a different planet they can convince us of that then you know people believe this sort of things all the time where it's like oh well if aliens exist then god doesn't exist yeah we, we come from aliens and it's like well then who made the aliens it's like but yeah, they don't even go that, that far problem, doesn't solve the problem but so yeah i think that um this is why i was saying this is a big question i actually would love to ex- <laughs> i wish we had like
0: we could explore more this actually would be an interesting topic to have a couple of different people on who know more about it than we do yes we can really just ask them questions. Yes. And ask them that would be your fun. questions. We're totally. We, we might
1: have to set that up. Totally. 100%. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> let's just keep going. <laughs> let's
0: keep going. Let's All,
1: push right. All right. So Ezekiel 2, it's yeah. a Bible question for you. All right. What does God call, Ezekiel, sorry, why does God call Ezekiel the son of man if Christ self-identifies as the son of man? Why yeah. do that?
0: Yeah. So the son of man isn't just used of Ezekiel. It's used of a couple other prophets that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but it solidifies that really the position that Ezekiel is in, right? He's given all of these heavenly visions. And so being called the son of man makes a lot of sense, right? Right, The son of Adam, that is who you are. That is your position. That is your place. And, and, and that a lot can be said about, about how Christ also takes that upon himself. But again, it's that emphasis that God took on human flesh, Mm. and then thus rightly can be called the Son of God and the Son of Man, right? So that He is taking on our flesh, so that He has the right of redemption for us, right? Right? Um, Yeah. And when you get into Daniel, there's some really interesting stuff that has to do with the Son of God and the Son of Man that that Christ did. So I, I would just say, I would just say, this is you know, a way of identifying the role of Ezekiel and then again the role of Christ.
1: Right. I think another way to look at it too is uh Christ is the only uh what is it Messiah that's mentioned in the Old Testament. When you look at the word Messiah in the Hebrew, mm. it's also mentioned of Cyrus, an anointed one will come. Yeah. So it's well, and, and, so the same all, words well, can the, be used.
0: All the kings right. of David's line are called the anointed one. Right. Like in the Psalms it's it, it, it's used both ways, uh, of the future ma- Messiah, but also of the physical line of David that will bear the
1: Messiah. Right, so it's a title. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is titles can be used differently. There's a Messiah, and there's then there's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, whatever we were talking about earlier today, um, it's not the big question. It's a big question. <laughs> Anyways, so I think that's a good answer. I know. I think, I think it's good. Yeah,
0: nice and like simple and sweet. Yeah. Simple and sweet. Okay, Matlock. Go ahead. Ezekiel 4, 4 to 8, okay? Okay. So what does it mean when God says Ezekiel shall bear the sin of Israel in Ezekiel 4, 4 to 8? Why does Ezekiel have to bear the sin of Israel? Um, and this question, this questioner says, I I thought the sin offering bears the sins of Israel. Right. So do you want to go into Ezekiel 4?
1: Sure. I think we should read it. Do you want to read it? Yeah for sure.
0: Do it. All right. Um, okay, it says 4 to 8, but I really think we have to read 1 to 8 to get the context. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay. So, uh, this um, this is basically the the siege the coming siege of Jerusalem that's going to destroy Jerusalem. The coming Babylonian besiegement of Jerusalem is being symbolized by Ezekiel in this chapter. So, let's read that. And you, son of man, "'Take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it, and build a siege wall against it, and cast up a mound against it, set camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it all around.' And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a stage, a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. 40 days I assign you a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege.
1: Right. So
0: Ezekiel is here enacting what has happened to Israel in the falling of Israel. But what is ultimately going to happen to Jerusalem and Judah? Yes. As a result of their sin.
1: Right. And then he's asking Ezekiel to bear the sins. Now right. we all what know. What does that mean? Now we all know that only God can bear the sins. We all know this to be the case, that God is the true source that can ontologically, on an re- ultimate level, bear the sins. So, but the question is, is he using something by which sins are born through? In other words, um, in the sacrificial system, we see two things happening we see uh, there's the animal and then there's the high priest who be right and in this um, both are represented representative of christ so christ is the lamb of god right but he's also our high priest in hebrews and elsewhere um but this is also said of the old the old covenant that these are shadows of things to come paul says that um so it fully depends on god himself and a, a, a contrite heart for these sacrifices to even work at all. It's not like I can just walk up and like, oh, I'll bear your sins. At the same time, at the same time, um, I want to read something to do with Leviticus to kind of up the ante here for how we're hearing this. So Leviticus 10 verses 17 to 18. Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. So the, the key there to, to, to note make note of is um, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary? Since it is a thing most holy, and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation. To make atonement for them before the Lord. Okay. So the point here is that, like we said, we know God's doing that. Because sacrifices in and of themselves without a contrite heart mean nothing. We read yeah. this throughout yeah. the, all the, prophet, the prophets talk about this. Jeremiah talks about Isaiah. People who are just like paying lip service. They're making sacrifices like their trust is in the temple. the trust is in you know, human traditions. And then they sacrifice and they think God just likes it because they're just doing an act. But they don't really care right they're committing injustices but they think that this is somehow you know taking it away without any type of inward change transformation whatsoever so we know that needs to be the case um at the same time we know that the animal and uh, uh, the priest are both part of the sacrificial process and the animals yeah. themselves don't bear the actual sins as we just talked about there's no contrite heart there's no bearing of the sins there's no there's nothing that happens there um they're detestable before me god mm-hmm, says mm-hmm. um but the whole point is is that the priest and the animal together, the whole tabernacle everything. That's the reason why the priest is wearing an ephod and everything. he has the the the, yeah. the the pomegranate um uh garments and uh excuse me um I'm, I'm dropping the word. The pomegranates at the bottom of his yep, of his Yes, the pomegranates garments. and
0: bells. Yes,
1: thank you. But, uh anyways, but he's dressed like the tabernacle. Yep. So there's this relationship between him the tabernacle and the animals uh for bearing the sins even the ephod with having the 12 tribes of Israel. So my point here is that not that the priest or the animal truly bears the sins, but God is using that as a symbol. The symbols are real. But God is using that as a symbol to show that he will bear the sins. And then when Christ comes, he's the ultimate high priest who bears the sins. He is
0: both the sacrifice and the high priest.
1: Exactly. So it is a symbol that's pointing to Christ. It is a sign. At the same time, they still have to do it, in order for the symbol to be real, so they can't just mentally picture it and be like, "Oh, I feel like." I should, they have to carry it out. Um, what are you thinking?
0: Yeah, well, I, because I think another way of saying that, when you look at the sacrificial system that God instituted for the Israelites under the under that covenant right. that He had with them under the Mosaic covenant, and then you see how the prophets of the Bible explain how that system has failed. And it's always because the heart of the Israelites and the heart of the Judeans did not match what they were doing. Right, that they were still offering the animal sacrifices, but they were also engaged in apostasy. So their hearts were not actually in the sacrificial system that God right. had lined out. And and I mean, I mean, you look at God saying, I, th- "These things are detestable to me," because you can say that a- the the animal sacrifice itself, that animal and it giving its life. It displays the inward reality of your broken spirit and your contrite heart. Mm -hmm. It's your recognition that your sin deserves what's going to happen to this animal. It deserves death. And the high priest enacting that displays the, the reality of God's mercy that it is acceptable. Right. Right. The priest accepts. He looks at the sacrifice and he accepts the sacrifice and makes atonement for you. Right. So then, so then when Christ comes, he is both the ultimate sacrifice because he is perfect, but he also then, he, he accepts that and offers it to God on our behalf. So he right. is he is the, the the fulfillment of those things. So it is a symbol of a deeper reality, or at least it was supposed to be
1: right. and for it's, Israel. And importantly, though, it's a command. Because when, often when p- people think of symbol, they think that it's limited to our mental faculties. Oh, it's just something we have to think about. And it's like, like this has to be carried out. It's a command. Yeah. So it's a symbolic command. It had to be carried out. It through. had to be carried out in order for... There to be bearing of sins. Yeah. So it's like so you can't like it, Ezekiel it can't yeah. be, figuratively bear of sins by figuratively doing what he's told to do. Right. He has to act. He can't just draw a picture of himself doing it. Right. He has to actually move forward and do it for it to occur. Is the right. concept.
0: But 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 it, like in Ezekiel's case in Ezekiel four, it's a little bit of a different scenario. Yes, it is. Where because he's not actually bearing the punishment for Israel, in the sense that they're not going to have to bear the punishment. Right. He's showing them, he's bearing the punishment of Judah, symbolically, like showing them this is going to happen. Yes. What 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 I'm doing is going to happen to you, except in reality. Right. And then guess what? It does. Right. Judah does bear their own punishment. And that's the thing, because at that point, there was nothing that they could do, no sacrifice that they could offer that would stop. The right. punishment that was coming on them, which was right. the destruction of Jerusalem. Right.
1: I think it's interesting, too, because Ezekiel a priest. So you have... A you priest
0: know, without a temple. That's yeah. right.
1: So that's part of the reason why you have this this content, this hearkening back to Leviticus 10, this relationship there of bearing the sins, because in, intertwined with the sacrificial system is the priest mm-hmm. who's involved. So um, I don't know if that is the greatest answer.
0: But it is an answer.
1: But it is an answer. <laughs> I don't know if it's the answer.
0: What do you think? It's
1: an answer. What yeah. do you guys
0: think about <laughs> this? Let yeah. us know.
1: That's right. All right, <laughs> well, Corey, let's, let's keep moving. Let's I th- do it. I, yeah. All right. So let's go to, this pertains to, it's a viewer question. Okay. Okay. Pertains to quite a bit, actually. Here it is from Jan. Why does God command Ezekiel to shave his head and beard when priests are also commanded by God in his law not to shave their head or beard? Yes. Should priests shave their beard or not?
0: They were not supposed to. No. Uh, actually, neither were any Israelites. So if we jump back to... This is a newer Bible, so the pages right. are sticky. <laughs> let's, let's jump to Leviticus 19,
1: oh,
0: verse 27. Oh my goodness, the pages are so sticky. Okay, here <laughs> we go. Leviticus 19, verse twenty. we me to read it? Um, you know, it's okay. So this is, this one is for all Israel because this is within a list of things that were not acceptable to any Israelite. So this is, this is that, um, okay. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Note here in Leviticus 19, this just wasn't for any reason, this is specifically within the context of mourning, mourning for the dead. So they were not allowed to to cut the hair on their head or shave or cut their bodies or put tattoos on themselves for the dead. So in mourning practices for the dead. Then when you jump over to Leviticus 21.
1: Verse five.
0: Verse five, this is specifically for the priests. Um, they shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to the Lord God and not profane the name of their God. Why? For they offer the Lord's food offerings and the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. So there's something... This is a, a cue for us. There's something in the shaving aspect of morning rituals that makes them unacceptable to offer service before God in the temple. Okay, now also, we can jump to Deuteronomy 14. I talked about this on the Bible Discovery Show as well. Deuteronomy 14, 1 to 2. Okay, here we go. This is for all Israel again. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any boldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So again, these are morning rituals that are not acceptable to Israel. Now, these morning rituals are easily observable in the surrounding cultures of the day, uh, of the day from the literature that has been left over. So the, the morning rituals that Israel had in common with these people were um, um, tearing their garments uh, or changing and or changing their clothes for sackcloth, sitting on the ground in a public area, sitting on dust and ashes, right? putting dust and ashes on their head, um, and publicly willing, I don't know if I said that, but then the surrounding cultures also engaged in cutting themselves for the dead, um, shaving their head and their beards, and sometimes even getting tattoos for themselves. A lot of scholars believe that this was to ward off evil spirits, serving as like a protection amulet. Um, all right, so all morning rituals All of these morning rituals. There's a couple of. What (laughs) I'm going to start again. What makes shaving, cutting, and tattooing different from changing your clothes, not eating your normal food? That's another morning thing that I forgot to say. They would they would often stop eating regular food and only eat. um, Sometimes go. Sometimes fast. Sometimes only eat like. lower quality food and drink water, Um, putting dust and ashes on your head, and wailing and mourning. And I think the obvious answer is that the ones that were outlawed for Israel were not temporary. I mean, the other ones are really easy to reverse, aren't they? You're wailing, you stop wailing. You're wearing sackcloth, you get changed. You have dust and ashes on your head, you have a bath. You're not eating, you start to eat right? All of these things are really easily reversible. But shaving, you got to wait for your hair and your beard to grow back. Cutting yourself, you get scabs at best and scars at worst. And a tattoo is permanent, depending on, I mean, most places on your body, a tattoo is permanent. So there is this obvious discrepancy between morning rituals that are temporary are acceptable to God's people and morning rituals that are permanent or or long lasting are not acceptable to God's people. This is really interesting because for the priests, we're told that that makes them unacceptable to serve in the temple or the tabernacle. Why? Well, remember that priests were not allowed to have any outward sign of sin. They had to be ritually pure and, and physically look pure in order to enter the service of God in the temple and tabernacle, right? Right. Um, and an obvious an, an obvious uh, sign of sin is death. So not having permanent mourning rituals with you when you approach God was necessary. And then when we look at Israel as a whole, God also tells them in the Mosaic law that they're, they're called to be a nation of what? Priests to the surrounding nations. So then it's also not acceptable for them to have these longer lasting or permanent symbols of sin and death. So this idea is, I mean, even when you look at the Psalms, there's Psalmists that talk about how God turns mourning into dancing. So there's this idea of being ready at the drop of a hat to be rescued and redeemed by God and be brought into the presence of God and be able to serve him appropriately for the people. Which is, it says something really interesting about God, doesn't it? All right, so from there, you with me so far? I'm good, yeah. All right, so from there then, why does God say here in Ezekiel, why does God command Ezekiel to break this law and, and and shave his head and his beard and there's there's actually other areas in the scripture um, first of all before we get to that answer there they, these practices unfortunately we have evidence that they were happening in Israel that they weren't supposed to cutting and tattooing yourself with the dead and Um, shaving, we're not supposed to be part of regular morning rituals, but when we go to Jeremiah, I believe it's 16, sticky pages. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Jeremiah 16, six. This is God talking about the judgment that's going to be coming on. Jerusalem, both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried and no one shall lament for them or cut himself or make himself bold for them. Okay. So, Jeremiah famously talks about all the pagan practices that the people were doing that was bringing judgment. So this was going on in the land. Um, but for example, Amos eight actually says that God is going to shave the heads of His people. God. So if you if you want to look it up on your own time, it's Amos eight verse ten. God is going to shave the head of His people. And then here, of course, in Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel to do it. So what I believe that this means is that this is a sign that the judgment is sure. It's unstoppable. It's going to happen. Because Ezekiel has now been rendered unfit for the presence of God. He now has to wait for his hair and his beard to grow back before he is able to do any sort of service in a temple or a tabernacle. So the idea is that God's punishment here is not only sure, but it's going to last a long time. You're gonna have enough time to fully grow back your luxurious hair and your luxurious right. beard so that you will be acceptable right, to God. Right, because they're
1: gonna be in exile. And to add to your- uh,
0: Healing's not gonna be quick.
1: Right, and Ezekiel 5 verse 11, just so just 10 verses down, to add to your point therefore as I live declares the Lord God surely because you have uh, defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things with all your abominations therefore I will withdraw my eye will not spare and I will have no pity now on that where it says I will withdraw that is actually I will cut down mm-hmm. and the NIV does a good job of paralleling that with I will shave yeah so you think well, like, I will cut you down I will shave you yeah. so God's actually drawing a parallel between him being shaven yeah. and him judging. So there's a direct parallel in the text there. It doesn't come out in the ESV so much. Uh, I think the NIV does a better job of drawing that out. But yeah, I, to just it's add to a your point. It's
0: sure judgment. It yes. is going to happen. And God is not going to save quickly. He's not going to redeem instantly. There is going to be time for your hair to grow back before you will be allowed back into the presence of God, before there will be restoration. And there's right. also this idea of making the physical match the spiritual. Because while everyone was looking good, the priests probably weren't cutting their hair. They were still offering sacrifices in the temple. Everything looks good, but God is going to make the physical reality match the spiritual reality, mm-hmm. right? In reality, they are not fit to be offering sacrifices because they are engaged in apostasy and the worship of other gods and pride about the temple and all of these things that the prophets go into. So there is that also idea, this 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 revealing of the sins that's involved in it as well. Right. So yeah, that's-, that's I think it's a good answer.
1: Point. All and right, Corey.
0: Are we Are we ready for the big
1: question? The big question, I'll repeat it.
0: <laughs> all right, yes, please.
1: All right, so in what way does the physical world overlap with the <sighs> spiritual world? Now, we kind of talked about this with aliens. 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 Yeah, but what do you think?
0: (laughs) What do I think? In what ways does the physical world overlap with the spiritual (laughs) world? Look, I don't think that we can possibly even know the extent of this answer because I think that we've been, because we're no longer living in the presence of God that Adam and Eve were, right this whole idea that we that humanity was living in the presence of God living in harmony with the spiritual world and right. the physical world and then we lost that presence of God we've been cast from the presence of God um and then one day like human history is moving towards that reconciliation where we will again be living in the presence of God i honestly think it's impossible to tell but from everything that every time i look into the scriptures and every time i even look at my own life experiences it, i grow more and more convinced that the spiritual world is absolutely connected to the physical world in so many more ways than we could possibly imagine
1: yeah that
0: there is a spiritual reality to to every part of the physical world
1: yes yeah no i i hear you i um it's one of those it's one of <laughs>
0: <laughs> blowing in yeah it's so one of those
1: things that um th- like it's difficult because we often want to make it a one-to-one thing like everything that happens in the physical world is a one-to-one relationship with the spiritual world and to some extent that's true but to some extent it's not true mm-hmm. um because obviously there's this physical things like like rocks that we step on stuff like that it's not those things aren't going to be saved necessarily you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's not like the physical world is a one-to-one with the spiritual world otherwise they would be it would be animism or it would be um panentheism where like god is the universe and that just gets kind of weird right so you don't we want to avoid this one-to-one complete one-to-one but the overlap is definitely ex- extreme so there's different types of overlap you have like angelic overlap with like how do the angels you know uh function when they move from the spirit world to the physical world like i have no clue um but there's also other things with like the word became flesh um and you know Jesus christ always indwells you and um and are called you know christ was in uh, god incarnate You know, that is a mind-blowing concept. I have no clue Mm -hmm. how on earth that works. Um, And the point behind that, though, the incarnation was to draw, because when he ascended, he's drawing us to ascension as well. That's the point. He's bringing us to be the adoption of sonship, to be glorified. Um, And when you think about that being, like, the purpose behind this is is to... have sons and daughters in heaven, basically, to be glorified as Christ's brothers and sisters, quote-unquote, um, it makes you see our purpose in this world a little bit differently uh, and how we're supposed to go about it and the things that we have to do. Um, because God is using this world, you know, as Paul talks about, we're a seed and then the seed has to die and then we, to, to transform, using this world, as kind of like our seedling before we, uh, our sapling stages before we go into an oak and in in glorification, so I but think we're still
0: going to be physical. We're
1: still going oh, to be physical. Oh, of course, no, we have. to. Yeah, of course. it's not.
0: It's not as if like we. I think. I think sometimes in, in kind of our more Greek mentality, we have this idea that the physical world and the spiritual world are at odds with one another. Oh, they can't. And be. and and. and they they can't be when yeah. you look at the scripture and you see that I mean you look back at the way that it originally was and then you look forward to the new heavens and the new earth right. where it's spiritual and physical. It's 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 not this great mystical you know disembodied thing. reality. Disembodied yeah. reality. It's there is a physical world that was meant to be good. Yes, and will one day be good because it will be redeemed. But there is a deeper reality that right. we are right now largely disconnected from. So right. it's, not, it's not as if they're at odds with one another. They are they are part of a whole. Yes. They're part of a whole because otherwise of we course. would have been told that's, in the scripture, well, it's just going to be the spirit. That's not what we're told. We're told it's physical and spiritual. Yes. And it works together. Yes.
1: That's what was, that was the reason why I was saying the demonic forces that were called aliens are extra physical, mm-hmm. extra dimensional, whatever you want to call it. Because in a sense, it's like... They're still something. They're not, they're not like God who's not non-material. So there's something that's different. Um, but even still, so even okay, here's one common thing I think of. Um, in all possible worlds, meaning exists. Mm -hmm. Meaning, the words that we use. I mean the word became flesh, the logos dwelt among us. So meaning is in every possible world. And that means the meaning of our world doesn't. End. It is not like, Oh, I want to do this to accomplish this goal in the physical world. And it just ends in the physical world. Right. Like, like it's not like everything we do is physical exercise. Oh, my goal is to get in good shape. And then that's all it's all about. It's all has physical ends. It's like meaning literally from God <laughs> emanates outwards. In other words, it's like there's meaning in every possible world. So, but I, speaking about things, there's a spiritual reality happening. Just by speaking, it's engaging in the spiritual world, which is different from the physical rocks and stuff, sure. which is different. So there's something about meaning that's that's inherently different from, uh, you know, you have all these worlds. Where we, we draw scratches on paper, you write your notes on paper, but in in, in Japan, this is the symbols look different. The physical symbols look different. But the meanings are the same. So there's a deep meaning within things that goes from this world to the next world. Anyways, so I think meaning is one thing that you could say that's a common element that's uh, that overlaps with the physical spiritual world in a one to one way. Um, anyways, besides that.
0: I and mean, we, yeah. we can't not talk about Ephesians 6, where Paul says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right. but against spiritual principalities and the bit, powers of darkness the and powers authorities. Powers of darkness. Yeah. So it's like they're. they're there is another reality that we can't always just see with our eyes. Yes. Our physical eyes, you know. Yeah. Um but through the indwelling of the spirit with discernment, God sometimes does allow us to be able to identify and see what what we're fighting against, which is which is interesting. Right. So there's there's, there's whole systems of opposition and whole systems of worship towards God that are there that we're not given Super detailed accounts of, and probably for a good reason, it would probably be ridiculously overwhelming. I mean, just in our day and age of technology, with how busy that we've made ourselves, and 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 how hard we all have to work just to just to feed ourselves and our families yeah. these days, can you imagine that? On top of that, if we could see all the intricate spiritual realities in our fallen condition, yeah, yeah, we're not supposed to, right? There's limited knowledge, and I and, and I kind of think of it. I kind of think of it as, um. You know, as parents, we're parents to young kids. Um, our oldest kid is about to turn six, and there's a lot of knowledge that he will grow into, that our children will grow into, that we are keeping them safe from right now because it's not for them. They don't need to know about it right now. They they need there's certain things that they need to know that we have that we are teaching them and have taught them. And it's the same way. I think it's the same way with God, where He is protecting us from certain elements of reality that we don't need to know yet or that we couldn't handle to know yet or if we did know it would mess us up. Mm. So there's a certain element of trust in God that we have to have where it's like, "Okay, God, you didn't go into that, so I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to pry into that hardcore because I don't want to get obsessed with an area that you don't want me to be obsessed right. with." Right? That's fair. So I I think there's we have to be really careful because because it, it can be a really entrancing and, and enticing thing. You know, come come over here and learn about the spiritual world. Right. And it can be really bad. It can go down a bad path because God tells us not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New, that we're supposed to be getting our information from Him. We're not supposed to be going through things like mediums and, and divination and, and all of that. So there's some stuff that is just not for us to know. And that's that's not always a popular thing to say. Yeah but we have to be careful, I think. I think there's wisdom in in guarding ourselves and guarding our hearts against knowledge that God doesn't want us to have.
1: No, I think that's good. And you can, I think that's that's wise, very wise words. And even so much that like take demonic possessions, okay? Mm -hmm. When people are affected, like people say that they see physical changes. Yes. And those are perhaps temporal at times. They see for like a glimpse or a moment and they see something that's just off right Mm -hmm. so like the spiritual world can augment
0: it absolutely
1: reality and and that's the key there it's like it's like when people see ufos all these other things they're being augmented and that is something that we because they're people say extra dimensional they're in a higher dimension or whatever they're just they're because they're beyond us they can manipulate it very much so and that's the reason why having the indwelling of the holy spirit is like a necessity to not be corrupted Absolutely.
0: Um, and again that armor of God that Ephesians 6 like really right. really counsels us counsels us on. It's a it's a good read.
1: Yeah. All right, well I think that is pretty good.
0: Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys think? Again, pop it down in the comment section below. Matt and I love reading your comments and questions and interacting with you there, so please go on ahead and do that. And we look forward to seeing you on next week's weekend show. So until then, Subscribe. Matlock just wrote me a note. That's why I looked over awkwardly, like, uh. He, he wrote subscribe in big because I'm the worst, guys. If you say sur- I, I am the worst. I never ask you to like, I never ask you to share, I never ask you to subscribe, or very rarely. I know never is a hyperbole, but very rarely do I ask these things because I forget. But if you have not subscribed and you're watching this long, please hit subscribe. It helps grow the channel, but also then it helps you to see the videos that were popping out. Uh Every week, so yeah, please please subscribe if you don't mind and, and give us a thumbs up and leave us a comment. and until next week, happy reading and happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under Donate. Your support really means a lot to us.